Um, now, we're going to be looking, as it says behind me, at Colossians 1, 15 to 17, and I have asked someone to read that for us, and they are very brave because it's from the Amplified Bible, and I think that will appear behind us. Now, Ben, if we could have a mic, perhaps, and you can stay there if you want, and that's good, and if you don't mind reading the, the passage, or wherever you feel that you want to, to read from. Okay? Right. He is the exact living image, the essential manifestation of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible, the firstborn, the preeminent one, the suffering and the originator of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created and exist through him, that is, by his activity and for him. And he himself existed and is before all things, and in him and him all things hold together. His is the controlling, cohesive force of the universe. Thank you, thank you so much for that. That's really well done. Thank you. Thank you, Doug. You go and sit and I'll, uh, I'll give you something later. Before we get, I'm just going to read a quote from John Piper. If you don't see the greatness of God, then all things money can buy become very exciting. If you can't see the sun, you'll be impressed with a streetlight. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. I've entitled the message this morning, um, God the Son, and it sort of follows on from what Ben has been saying um, when he talked last week about the crowds awaiting Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and the fact that they didn't know he was who he was. They didn't get him. They didn't understand who it was who was coming in. So really, we're sort of building on that, and we're going to be looking at who he is through these, these, these um, scriptures. So We'll be looking at him. This is the takeoff bit. I'm going to tell you where we're going to go, and later on we'll be coming down to land later, and we'll see what God wants to do. So this is the bit that I'm going to try and do. So those for taking notes, there aren't exactly three points. There's a few points, and I just want God to lodge those points with you in your heart rather than it being a mathematical thing. I've got one, I've got two. Let's see what, where God takes us. So I'll be talking about God the Son. I mean, we're very familiar with the term Son of God, but God the Son in the Trinity is really dealt with very, very firmly here. And I make no apologies for wanting to big Jesus up. I want him to be preeminent and made big this morning. Did you know that the closer he gets, the bigger he gets? Unlike with us, the closer you get to us, by and large, we turn out to be a little bit disappointing sometimes. But it's not like that with Jesus. He gets bigger and bigger. We'll also be considering um, what the church was like at Colossae and what the problems were and why Paul was writing to them. Um, And there are other things that we can learn from what was happening at Colossae um, at that time for us today. Um, We know that they were suffering from wrong teaching, and that's clear in in the the, the whole of the book of Colossians. And the, the primary purpose of this passage is to tell us who Jesus is. It keeps saying, he is, and in him it's repeated. And Paul was trying to bring a full message of Jesus because, unfortunately, the Colossians had heard some wrong teaching. 
he wanted to emphasize that he was the creator king and the Lord. And he wanted also to um, stress the completeness of, of Jesus' work, that there was no further need for teaching about somehow making up for any shortfall that Jesus had done. You didn't have to work your way further to God or further to salvation. It was done. And the wonderful thing through this passage is we'll see that Jesus did it all before we were born, before the creation of the world. And we're going to be looking a little bit at that as we go along. So um, we'll be looking at some of the error, um, who Jesus is. And I, I think it's important to stress also that as Richard has been teaching in Hebrews, we now know increasingly that everything that was required to be done was done in Jesus. Okay, So everything that God needed to be done has been done in Jesus. And, and Richard's been teaching about that in Hebrews. There was no need for further sacrifices. What was happening in the Colossian church is that they'd had these, um, some Jewish, some Greek teachers coming in amongst them and saying, well, no, 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 no. Actually, you need mystical experiences to get closer to God. You need some sort of hidden deep secrets that you don't know yet. Let's come to a higher level and let's learn these mysteries. And they said that Jesus was actually one of the high angels and actually the way you got to him was through the angels. You know, the lower ranking and then up and up and up. Um, nothing new under the sun. There are lots of people out there saying that nowadays, that he was just a human being. Um, the, the, and there's, there's, it's not unknown. So that's, that would be JWs and Jehovah's Witnesses and, and Mormons. They say that Jesus was just a created being. And uh, I think the Mormons say, as he was you know, as we are, he once was, as he is, we will once be, or something silly like that. Um, he is not a created being, and that's what Paul was talking about here. I don't know whether you know this, but this passage in Colossians, which I mean, I, I, I've been around long enough to sing songs about this passage over the years, but it's one of three passages which are parallel. They say pretty much the same thing, and it's important, um, and we'll get on to why it's important in a minute, but so one of them is John 1, the Gospel of John, 1 to 13. And in that Gospel, John says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing that has been made has been made, as was made. And then the second passage is in the beginning of Hebrews. Hebrews 1, verse 3. And it, there... The writer to the Hebrews, who we don't really know who it was, he says, the Son, the Son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So, Scripture says it three times. So, maybe it's important. Well, it is important. It's very important. It's incredibly important. There seems to be this thing where God repeats things to us. He's so kind, like when Peter, Peter, do you love me? Three times. He says, you know I love you. you, love you. Sometimes when Bible repeats things, it's important. Let's, let's look at, the, let's look at the, the, the scripture itself. It starts off, uh, I don't know, that those who may remember when I spoke last about John, I sort of had one or two words that I focused on. Let's look at the first word here, he. We know who it is because of the passage beforehand. He is Jesus. It's him. I, I talked on, on John about him being, so we'll just look a little bit at what, who Jesus is. He's the redeemer. He's the atoner. He's the uniter. He's the sacrifice. He's the Messiah. 
He's the appointed king. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's the mediator. He's the justifier. So when I talked from John 17, I bigged him up. He is all these incredible things. Well, now we're going to see. He's even more. As we get closer to him, he gets bigger and bigger, and it's wonderful. Now, he is the image. And what does that mean? What does it mean, the image? Jesus is the exact likeness and perfect representative. So the Bible talks in in Genesis 1.27, please don't put this one up necessarily, um, Joe, Uh, as Adam was made in the image of God, in the image of God. Okay, but in 1 Corinthians 15, again, don't worry about this, 1.45, it calls Jesus, who is the second Adam, or the last Adam, we're told here that he is the image. He's not in the image, he is the image of God. He is the perfect representation of God. Now, image, you, you can say, well, what does, what does image mean? You know, what's that, that word mean? Well, various writers have tried to capture this, and, and sometimes it's, it's a bit like seeing the reflection, the beautiful reflection of the sun in, the, in, this, in, the, in, a, in a lake. It's, a, it's an image, it's a mirror image. It's exactly the same as the, the sun there, but you're seeing an image. Or perhaps on a, on a stamp or on a coin, if you've got a coin in your pocket, it'll have the image of the queen on it. That's an image. Or in our language, um, you talk about somebody as, oh, he's the exact image of his father. He's the, and, and here we have that. He is the exact image of his father. Doesn't he look just like his dad? Yes, he does. He looks perfectly like, but it's beyond that because this is the Trinity. He is he's God. So let's look at what Scripture says regarding uh, the word image used in the Old Testament. Um, I think this is important, this, this next part, bit I'm going to make. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. It talks about that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The enemy wants to blind people to who Jesus is. And can I just say, the enemy carries on wanting to blind us. Yeah? He wants us to lose sight of who Jesus is. That's an ongoing battle. In Hebrews 1.3, um, I've just referred to the, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. So that means the almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, okay, the glory of the one who was never seen has been shown to us through Jesus. This, this stuff is really, really significant that, that, that God has actually displayed himself, has shown himself to us through Jesus. And I think, forgive me, uh, even as Christians, if you go, sometimes you get a bit trite with this, say, yeah, yeah, we know, no, actually, this is incredibly profound because the reality that this passage brings out is so, so fundamental to how we live in the Western society especially. And the only way God will ever show himself is through Jesus. No angels, and I mean, as in, when you want to see God, you look to Jesus. You don't look to angels, you don't look to Mary, you don't look to saints, you don't look anywhere else. You look to Jesus. You want to know God? You look to Jesus. And it's wonderful because, again, this passage, as we're sort of, some of you parents may be thinking about Christmas lists, some of you kids may be very focused on Christmas lists. And Christmas is all about when God Emmanuel came, God with us. That Emmanuel means God with us, comes 
And there's another word, um, and some of you youngsters may have heard this word, it's incarnation. It means in the flesh. So when Jesus um, comes, he's, he's incarnate in flesh. And even before he came as flesh, he always was the image of the invisible God. Always was. There has never been a time that he wasn't the image of God. So he always, always, always was. Always, always, always is and always, always will be the image of God. Absolutely. Okay, so, so what did you could say, well, David, that's fine. Okay, but Jesus never said that about himself, if you're a skeptic. And my brother, who's very skeptical, keeps trying to pick, unpick Jesus. I'm saying, well, actually, what did Jesus say about himself? Okay? And if, 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 um, if you go to John 14, um, Verses 5 to 9, there's a lovely passage where it says Jesus comforts his disciples. And he talks about, look, I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to go ahead of you. And where I go, you will, you will follow. And then they say, well, no. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Listen, the amazing thing is, the amazing thing is that God bothered to show himself. We live in a world where we, we, we have a, an entitlement culture. We're entitled to good health, perfect lives, perfect physique, perfect this, perfect that. There's a sense of entitlement. And some of that, we think, oh yeah, and we're entitled to be forgiven. We're entitled to strut around the world like we're important. We're entitled to our millennial civilizations. Forgive me, we ain't. It is only by his grace that we have been, his general grace throughout the centuries that we've been allowed to exist because of his love. And we'll unpack some of this as we go along. And I just invite you to reconsider John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent God the Son. Yeah, He sent himself. And this is why it's so important to get Jesus. As, as, so unlike the people in Jerusalem as he was coming in, to actually see who he is, see who he still is, who he always was. Okay, so he's the image of the invisible God. Um, kids, have you ever asked your parents, why is God invisible? Yeah, maybe you want to go home and ask that question now. But parents, I'm going to give you a little bit of what Scripture actually says about that couple of things we know that we cannot and have not seen God yeah okay with our physical eyes it's clear that we cannot see God now let's have a look at what the Bible says about that and there's some helpful scriptures in the Old Testament again another lovely story of God's dealing with people in, in, in Exodus when Moses is leading the people of Israel out of Egypt and there's a tent of meeting and in this tent of meeting God would meet with um, Moses, and it's in Exodus 33:20. And I don't really remember this, but this is um, a passage that Arnold first preached when he came into Sheffield. It's the Exodus 33, when Moses says, "Lord, 
Don't take your, don't take your presence from us. Don't take your, your spirit from us. Because who are, otherwise the nations will not, not know that we have your favor, that I have your favor. Please don't go. Let your presence be with us. Yeah? And, and he said, and Moses says, show me your glory. Show me. I want to see you. And it says, but he, God, said to Moses, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Why? Why? Because God is separate, utterly separate, utterly perfect, utterly untouchable, holy. That's what that means. He is not like us, okay? He's not like a man, yeah? He's not like your dad or your uncle or anyone. He is not like a man. He is God. So, yes, yeah, um, Moses couldn't see him because he is, as Jesus says in John 4, 2, there's, a, again, another wonderful story where you see Jesus' interaction in kindness and love and inclusion with a woman at the well of Samaria. When, he said, when she talks about her religion and we worship God here and you worship him there, and he says, God is spirit, yeah, and worshippers must worship him in spirit and truth. So he's not a man. Yeah? And the Bible only uses language like God's arm, and God's eyes, and God's ears so that we may understand what it means. Okay? God is kind to us and he teaches us as humans with a bit of imagination. But our little brains cannot stretch to fully understand who God is. So he has to use... Um, there's a big word for it. I won't bother you with that. Anthropomorphic. Okay. So it, it's, it's, so it gives God ears. It gives him eyes. It, actually, no. He's spirit. And the only reason why the Bible talks about him like that is so that we, with our puny little minds, can get a grip and understand. What kindness. By the way, he needn't have done all this. Don't feel entitled. And please, I'm not being heavy-handed. It's just literally. Sometimes I've got to check myself. Oh, actually, this is grace. Wow, what grace. So this word invisible, okay, so he's the invisible God, and this word is used elsewhere in the New Testament, the exact word, um, and I'm going to set Richard up now a little bit, sorry about this, Rich. In Hebrews 11, okay, at verse 27, it says, Moses saw him who is invisible. How do you see who's invisible? I'll leave that one for Richard to unpack when he gets there, okay? And then later on, Timothy, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, um, he, describes, he says, now to the king eternal. Immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. And then later on in that book, he talks about, um, in in, uh, chapter 6, God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. That's holiness, isn't it? Whom no one has seen or can see. To him be the honor and glory forever. Amen. So you can't see him. And I think if you go back to the Old Testament, when God says, don't make idols, don't make, carve yourself images out of wood and whatnot, it's because people are desperate to say, what, good, what does your God look like? And, and they want to make a, an, an image. And I'll tell you what, we sometimes do that. As a kid, God to me was an old man with a big gray beard and a white robe. And there were stained glass windows in the church. And that's who God, that was my idol of God. Yeah, And I bet you we have something in us that craves to try and make God something like we can understand. But the bizarre thing is, no matter what you've made God in your mind, I bet you've made him too small. I bet you have made him really tiny in comparison to how big he is. 
So he's the untouchable, the unseeable, unapproachable holy God. He had to make the first move. This is grace. You could never claw your way up. As Richard's been saying about in Hebrews, no matter how many sacrifices, it would never have been enough. It was impossible for man to get to God. Absolutely impossible. God had to show himself. And so, so, so if you ever pray, oh, I believe in God if he shows himself, he has through Jesus. He has. If you want to see God, you want to, see, you want to look at Jesus. So the image, the image, the word, the image, is the glory of the invisible God made physically seen. We can see it with our, with our well, I was going to say our eyes. We weren't there in, in, in 2000, but we can now read through the Gospels. We can read through the, the letters to the churches, and we can see who God is. Look at Jesus. And I, I love this bit. Jesus, when I talked about John 17 um, months ago, Jesus said for his disciples, so that they may share our glory. What grace. We didn't deserve to see him. We don't deserve to share his glory. But in his love, he said, no, no, I, I want them to share my glory. It's undeserved grace. I'm going to quote from um, an old theologian called John Calvin. Very, uh, very clever bloke. Probably one of the cleverest theologians that ever walked the planet. The sum is this. That God in himself, that is, in his full, unveiled majesty, is invisible. And not only to the eyes of the body alone, but also to the understanding of men. And that he is revealed to us in Christ alone. That we may behold him as in a mirror. So it's like looking in a mirror and see Jesus and there's God. There's Jesus and there's God. For in Christ, he, God, shows us his righteousness, his goodness, his wisdom, his power. In short, his entire self. Okay. And he... It's the firstborn overall creation. Okay. Firstborn, what's that mean? Do you want kids, do you want to ask your parents? What's firstborn? What does that mean? Well, great, we've got the Old Testament and we can look there because if you go into the Old Testament, it, you see the firstborn had a very special place in, in, in uh, Old Testament history and in law. And it's a bit like, for example, if, if the queen dies, yeah, we know that Prince Charles will become the king. And the firstborn was the heir or the inheritor. They were the, the special one. That's how it works. That's how it worked in the Old Testament. And there's some scriptures there that are helpful. So we've got Exodus 13. Um, God said, all the firstborn are mine, including the firstborn human children, and the males shall be Yahweh's, God's, the Lord's. Yeah? And then it says later on in Exodus 13, um, the firstborn sons would be to be redeemed. That means saved specially. Um, and they were to be given a double portion. So they were first in line, and they were to given. And you imagine this really naffed off their, their perhaps their brothers, um, because in that day it was the brothers who got it. And so if you remember, there's a story of Esau, um, and he was the firstborn. Yeah, he was Isaac's firstborn, and he was supposed to get double portion, the first in line. And he goes and sells it for what? A can of stew. <laughs> he, he, he just gave it up. So, but he was meant to be the firstborn. So the Old Testament law shows you got privilege. Yeah? You were first in line. You were in front of everybody else. The firstborn. Yeah? And that's, it says here, Jesus is the firstborn, the front in line of all creation. But 
But, but it does not mean, it does not, not, not mean that Jesus is a man and the first of men. It does not mean, that's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying here, he says that actually he is the, 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 the first in line of all creation. Because later on we'll, we'll deal with, with creation. He is um, the whole of the Old Testament, yeah, this whole deal about the firstborn. Why was it so important? Because it pointed forward to Jesus. That's what it was all about. Everything, as, as Richard's been talking about, sacrifices in, the, in Hebrews and that lot, it all points forward to Jesus. That's what the, the whole firstborn Old Testament deal was all about. So he is the perfect firstborn. He is the supreme firstborn in time and space and history. Right, so, so that's who he is, okay, through those fir- first few words. And, and, and yes, he really is that incredible. He really is that worthy and that glorious. He's special already, but let's actually see now what he's done. This, this passage now goes on to talk about what he's done. Um, in, in verse 16a, in the NIV it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. So everything was, all things, all things were created in him. Things in heaven, and basically that's the spiritual things and invisible things, because it talks about things invisible and invisible, and things on earth, okay? And that's physical stuff. So stuff that you can see, stuff that's visible. We've already looked at the word invisible in terms of God, but this is actually invisible to do with just spiritual beings. All thrones and powers, rulers and authorities, which means every type of spiritual creature yeah, and every power, every type of power created through him. For all things are created, things in heaven and earth, through him, for in him all things were created. Now, the trouble with the Colossians, you know, I said we just look at what the problem with the Colossian church was, is that they've had people coming in amongst them and saying, oh, no, 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 you've got to worship angels, yeah? And they were trying to make Jesus just one of the angels. And Paul is saying, no, 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 he created angels. How can he be one of them? No, he created them, yeah? So he created all spiritual beings. And therefore, he is before everything else. He is the most important one. And later on in Colossians, Paul says to, 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 to them, the, to the listeners, to the church there, he says, don't be captivated by these very clever speakers about what he calls as hollow and deceptive philosophies. Oh no, you've got to have deep truths and you've got to understand about the whole thing about angels and hierarchies and stuff like that. He says, no, don't get captivated by that. That's nonsense. That's just airheaded nonsense. So Jesus created all of those things He created everything, and I, I love this, and this is, this is, I think this is um, where I think God wants to minister to us today um, at one of the areas. It says later on in Colossians 2.15, about these spiritual beings, these, these, these powers and authorities, it says, at the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. Yeah? He made a spectacle of them. Yeah? Everything is made for him. It's made by him and for him. Yeah? He will get the glory through everything. So, like the Colossians, we worship him, not angels. Yeah? Not, not icons, not pictures of him in our head because we're making a, an idol. 
Not Mary, not saints, him. We worship him because everything was created for him so that he gets the glory through everything. Um, Parents, again, I'm going to ask you to go with your kids later on and explain what I'm about to say. And this is actually good fun because I'm going to quote from Amos 5. It says this in Amos 5, 8. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkness, darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. I'm going through um, Psalms with um, Anna bit by bit. We're not, we don't have a particularly structured way of, of going through the Bible. It just so happened that yesterday we got to Psalm 33. And it talks about him by his word calling out the starry host. Uh, again, parents, if you can look at the Pleiades and around and, and turn there, even if it's core groups, you may want to just look at some of the things it says about Jesus uh, as, as creator. And of course, and... Um, um, Andrew Wilson says there's a wonderful bit in one of his talks about the origins of, of creation. He says in Genesis, it talks about God creating this, the sun and the, and the moon and just like almost throw away. Oh, and the stars also. You mind putting on the, the vid? I'm going to um, read a, a quote now as you're watching behind me from Bill Bryson. Um, Bill Bryson is one of my favorite authors, and in his book, A Short History of Nearly Everything, he says, We live in a universe whose age we can't quite compute, surrounded by stars whose distances we don't altogether know, filled with matter we can't identify, operating in conformance with physical laws whose properties we don't truly understand. The whole of created order in time and space owes its existence and his continued existence to Jesus. It exists all for him. It's all for him. So, Paul keeps saying in this passage, and keep on looking, Paul keeps saying in this passage, all things were created by him in heaven and earth, all things. He sustains it all through Jesus' creative power, through him. He has authority over the world and the universe from the depths of the deepest part of the Menai Trench in the ocean to the furthest flung planet wherever scientists now decide that's going to be. From every civilization that's ever occupied this planet to every hair on your head, He sustains it all. It's created in him so that he could be acknowledged as king of kings and lord of lords, as the preeminent one. So that whether you're in Zambia, Peru, Russia, anywhere on the planet, we worship him. It's all created by him, for him, for his glory. I listened, as I was preparing the message, I had the privilege of listening to... um, uh, I think it's Packer on this and, and he says quite simply you exist yeah? you exist the reason you exist is to make Christ look good yeah? that's why we exist to make Jesus look good to give him glory 
And everything, everything in the universe exists to make him look good. So he will weave it all together, and when we get to the end of history, and we think, well, why the wars? Why the civilizations coming and going? Why the disasters? Why the fall? Why the garden? Why eat that apple? Why? He will say, and we'll see his glory, and we'll have eternity to unpack it, and see his glory. And it will take us eternity to see his glory, because our little minds cannot get it. And if you put all the minds of all the people, all the brilliant minds of every mind that's ever occupied this planet, spinning away in the middle of the universe, they will still never ever even start to scratch the surface of how great God is. What grace? Why why has he shown himself? Why has he done this? Can someone explain to me, apart from his love, why did he do it? But not only did he create it all, he holds it all together. Um, Benjamin very um, uh, ably wrote cohesive it's stuff that I struggle with. Cohesive force. He's the glue that holds everything together. Every single part of the universe is held together by him. Whether it's what scientists now call point likes, which is probably the smallest subatomic thing you can get below a neuron, an electron, a point like from the lowest point like that may or may not occupy the same point in time and space as it, it does itself. It's just weird. You're nodding. You like this stuff, don't you? That's a bit geeky. To red hypergiants, to the biggest known possible star, he holds it all together. Why, is, why, why don't your atoms just go, because Jesus holds it all together. That's the inexplicable, the mysterious force that holds the whole of the universe together. But he holds every heart in this room, beating, whether it's arrhythmically, whether it's regularly, he holds every heart beating in this room he sustains it all I talked about entitlement no I have a right to a life no no, not really no you have a right to judgment you have a right to be snuffed out so he is before all things means he is more important than everything he is more important than everything and as I'm, I'm, I'm saying this in my heart I'm just saying I wish someone had told me when I was little I wish somebody had told me that he is the reason we're alive. So he's the firstborn. He's the boss. He's the governor. He's in charge. He's the Lord of the universe. So it all exists for him. And so as it says in Philippians um, chapter 2, 10 and thereabouts, it talks about every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That will happen. One day, every eye will open and see Oh, it is all about him then. So he's God the Son. He's the Holy One. He's the beginning and the end. He's the goal, the reason. He's the Lord of glory. And we're coming into land now, okay? I'm going to start looking at how this affects us, how it should affect us, how we should respond as believers. Have you made him too small in your Mind, have you lost this awe and wonder? Perhaps you never realized who he is. There's a book by J.B. Phillips from 1962 says, Your God is too small. And it talks about you do make him into a, a nice uncle or you know, a medicine man that heals you or this or that. Actually, no, that's making him too small. For those of you, and no matter how old or little you are, or older, if you've never 
come to the cross, if you've never heard about this Jesus, or you've never actually realized this is Jesus, in fact, all of us, I'm going to invite you now, in your mind, or however, however best it helps you, just to turn the, back, the clock back 2,000 years, and just come back to a hill outside Jerusalem, where suspended, nailed, covered in blood, bruised, beaten, hanging on a cross, is the one who holds every red hypergiant together, who sees every, who knows about every hair on your head, the one who holds it all together. Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. God, the Son, pinned there, suffering a brutal death, and it gets worse. Can it get worse? No, he's already pinned to that. He's a, a, a horrible Roman crucifixion. No, it gets worse. Isaiah 53 tells us it gets worse. God slams down the wrath, the justified wrath and anger against sin on the star creator. The one who, on the cross, was making sure that 2,000 years later your heart would be beating in your, in your chest. That you would be born on the day you were born. God slams down his wrath. He crushes him. He obliterates him in time and space where Jesus is forced to cry, my God, my God, where are you? You've abandoned me. At mystery, you can't understand that the Father and the Son are separated because all of the sin is put on him. So if you've never realized that in your life before, I'm going to invite you to respond this morning. But also for believers, for Christians, I'm just going to ask, I don't know how you came to the cross. I don't know how you became a believer. But when you came to the cross, who who did you think was hanging there? Did you realize what was going on there? You see, the early church understood who was hanging there. And when at the the end of a Roman sword they were saying, say, Caesar is Lord, which is like saying Caesar is God, they would say, no, Jesus is Lord. Through, or to the lions, or whatever barbaric way they wanted to kill them. They knew exactly. I tell you, I suggest to you that in the New Testament... There is no indication that there is an understanding that anything other than 100% giving your life to Jesus is accepted. They didn't understand anything, oh, a bit, I'll bolt him onto my life. No, the Bible doesn't talk about that. So as Christians, I'm going to just ask, if how did you come to the cross? When you came to the cross first, who did you see there? Who did you think it was? Have we bolted him onto our life? Is he just something we'll add? Is he an insurance ticket? Is he a bit of religion? Um, I can't see it at the moment, but, but Anna um, Crow brought wonderfully that, that voice of love and grace from Jesus in, in, in Revelation 3.16, where he says, you've lost your first love, you've, you've gone lukewarm. This morning, if you want to respond to that in your heart, I'm going to invite you to do that. And there's the, the others... As, as we were worshipping, I just think God wants to remind us that he overcame every power. As it says in, in, in Colossians 2, he made a spectacle. He triumphed absolutely 
once and for all over every power, over every demonic power, over everything. He triumphed over them. And he can set us free. He can set us free um, from, from everything um, that... And, and maybe you're thinking, well, what do you mean by that, Dave? Uh, what I did, what I found is, I, I, I was praying, saying, Lord, why is there so much divorce in my family? Was it my parents, my grandparents, me? What is this? And I just felt God was saying something about that being an issue through my background that I needed to be set free from. There's other issues about, for me, in my family, goodness gracious, I've got Eastern Europeans as, as forefathers and a depressive father. If I'm not going to have a bit of a bleak outline, outlook in life, I don't know anybody who is. But there's something about my ancestry that there's depression in my life. There has been depression that God has set me free from, that he wants to set us free. There's anxiety, there's stuff there, or stuff that your family think, what is it? There's, we're always ill, there's always something, there's always that God wants to set people free because at the cross... Jesus made a spectacle of every power. In Hebrews, it says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. If you're proud, God can do two things with you, okay, in his grace. He can either allow you to say, yeah, I'm I'm proud, but I want it to be melted, and you trip up over your own pride and you fall flat on your face. Yeah? Behold, I lay a, a stone. And those who trip over it yeah, will fall and be humbled. But those on whom that rock comes down will be crushed. God can, God, um, I remember Wendy's dad saying to me a long time ago, he, he can remember a few times in his life when the hammer of God has come down on his heart. I can only guess that that meant he felt his heart, was hard, his heart was hard. So today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If there's stuff in your life that you want to be set free from. So there's three people, three types of people. Those who've never, no matter how old you are, how little you are, if you want to give your life to Jesus, or if you've done it bit by bit and you say, no, I still want to go back to Jesus, I still want to remember who he is. And to those of you who would consider yourself Christians, but perhaps issues of compromise perhaps you never really got who he was and that he is in charge of everything everything and for those who just cannot get their head around why is it my family has this every disaster and problems and let's see god sets free people free should, should we have some time of worship and 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 um, simon if you should we just worship and just invite to see what god wants to do um So as, as um, the worship guys, uh, is, is it worship guys, not group, the worship the, the team come up, I, if, I'm going to invite you to stand up. And God in his kindness, in, in Romans 2, it talks about God's kindness. He says in his kindness, it leads you to repentance. And it says, Anna, forgive me, I didn't see you, you are here, thank you, I see you now. It talks about God in his kindness leads to repentance. And it says later on, don't mock his kindness. Don't make light of it. Yeah? Father, I'm, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, will you come now and you do a work in hearts, Lord. We are so familiar with each other, Lord, in this building and, um, and, and some of us are strangers here, some of us new. But you know, you know every heart and I pray, Holy Spirit, will you come now 
Jesus, the creator of the universe, the one who sits at the Father's right hand in perfect unity in the Trinity, we just declare now your sovereignty, that you have made a spectacle of all powers and authorities. You are preeminent. You are king. Come, Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord God. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.